0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Acts 10, verse 23 to 48. Starting partway
1: through verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I, could not, that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews. And in Jerusalem, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days.
0: Heavenly Father, we have just been thanking you and uh, praising you for your open word. And uh, we do want to do that again now. Thanking you also that this is a powerful word. And that in the passage we just had read to us, we can see some of that power at work by your spirit. And so we pray that tonight, Father, by your spirit, you would be powerfully at work through your word in our hearts for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good, well, if you could keep that passage from Acts chapter 10 open in front of you, that would be very helpful indeed. It's page 1104, if you've lost it. Now, back in the 14th century, China and Europe were devastated by what's been called the the worst pandemic ever recorded. It's what was later called the Black Death. There were all sorts of different kinds of plague, including bubonic plague, uh, that spread from town to town along all the trade routes. It was an extraordinary thing. About half the population of China was wiped out, probably about the same proportion in Europe. Not surprisingly, society began to break down Everyone lived in fear. And also, not surprisingly, people were desperate to avoid it. Desperate to find some sort of cure. Just imagine living at that time in the 14th century and finding a cure for the plague. What an amazing thing that would have been. Now, all of that sounds almost too horrible to imagine, doesn't it? But actually, if we stop to think about it, perhaps we shouldn't find it that horrible. It wasn't even the worst pandemic Ever, whatever people may claim there is of course a much worse pandemic than that facing humanity and that is the pandemic of death itself we might not live under the shadow of the plague in the same way that they did in the 14th century but we still live under the shadow of death even if not by plague death comes to us somehow everyone's affected No one can avoid it. It's socially devastating, leaving our world fractured and broken. Just imagine, just imagine for a moment finding a cure to that pandemic. But wonderfully, we don't have to imagine. Uh, We're in the middle of a, a short series from the book of Acts, looking at some passages across Acts which call on us to believe Those who were witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They were witnesses because they they saw him raised from the dead. And uh, we're being encouraged to be confident that their testimony is true. And that realise that in Jesus lies a cure for death itself. So last week, for example, in Acts chapter 3, we met a man crippled from birth as he sat at the temple gate, unable to move. He was a picture of the, of the shadow of death, the broken world in which we live, a, a world without hope. But when Peter and John, eyewitnesses of, of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, when they presented Jesus to him, he jumped to his feet and then stood as a, a picture of the new life and hope for the, for the, that comes to those who believe in the risen Jesus. But I guess one of the questions that might leave us with is, is this. You know, that sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds great that that person back then benefited from that. Uh, but who else can benefit from it? Who, who exactly can benefit from Jesus' resurrection? Uh, can I benefit, uh, for example? Can you benefit? You see, there's an issue here because all of the people who have benefited from Jesus' resurrection to this point in the, in the book of Acts have been Jewish uh, We'd expect that uh, the Jewish people were God's treasured possession. Uh, would expect them to benefit. The question is, can anyone else benefit? Well, the answer in our passage tonight is a very, very emphatic yes. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And he and all his household and all his friends come to benefit for Jesus' resurrection in a very dramatic way. So, the main purpose of our passage tonight should be very clear to us it's to give us confidence that anyone who fears the Lord can benefit from Jesus' resurrection if they believe in him. Anyone who fears the Lord can benefit from Jesus' resurrection if they believe in him. And if you glance across the page there to, to chapter 11, verse 8, you can see that purpose absolutely and clearly confirmed. Uh, When Peter goes back to Jerusalem after all this and he he tells them what happened, this is what they conclude. So then, God has granted even the Gentiles, even these non-Jews, repentance unto life. It's extraordinary, it's for everyone. Anyone who fears the Lord can benefit from Jesus' resurrection if they believe in him. So what we're going to do tonight is to work through our passage in two parts. First of all, Peter's going to show us, by what he says and what he does, that no one is excluded from this. And then Cornelius is going to play a role. Cornelius is going to show us, by his response, that all of us, whoever we are, can and should benefit. All of, us, all of which will give us confidence that anyone who fears the Lord can benefit from Jesus' resurrection if they believe in him. So let's begin uh, with Peter in verses 23 through to 29. We've said that this is all about giving us confidence. What kind of confidence does this give us? Well, from these verses like Peter, uh, let's be confident, whoever we are, that no one's excluded. Confident that no one's excluded. Now, we haven't read the whole chapter, but the background to all of this is that a Gentile called Cornelius, who lives in Caesarea, it's a town about 40 miles from Jerusalem, it's on the Mediterranean coast, Uh, Cornelius has had a visit from an angel. And the angel has told him to send men to Joppa, which is a a little further down the coast, uh, to bring back someone called Peter. Uh, Before they arrive in Joppa, Peter himself has a vision. And calling him to eat what he would have considered unclean food what he would consider, as a a Jewish person, unclean food. He can't quite believe that he's been asked to do that, but a a voice rebukes him. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Then the men arrive and uh, take him to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. And uh, we can see at the beginning of our passage that Cornelius is very pleased to see him. And when Peter goes inside and sees a large gathering of people there, listen again to what he says. Let me read from verse 28. Peter said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So you see how it is. It used to be like this. Jews should not associate with Gentiles. Jews should consider Gentiles unclean and keep away from them by law. A barrier was placed between them. But now things have changed. Peter has been told, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And so Peter now says, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now, not that Cornelius, for example, even though he fears God, is by any means morally pure. We'll think about that shortly. Rather, Peter is now free to engage with him and speak with him without being corrupted by the encounter. In fact, it's more than that. He should now engage with him and speak with him. Now, I suppose the, the main thing that might puzzle us about this is why this barrier was there in the first place. Uh, well, think about it this way. Uh, think about uh, what I began with tonight, uh, Europe in the 14th century, ravaged by the plague. Uh, and remember that I'm comparing this, deadly, uh, this to the deadly plague that, that affects the world. Uh, in every century, the plague of sin and immorality and hostility to God that leaves humanity under the shadow and curse of death. But think back to the 14th century, uh, ravaged by the plague. And suppose uh, we're in a country then, and we set apart one town, just one town, as different. Different, a sort of haven of healthiness in a plague-ridden land. A sort of plague-free town. Now, I think uh, you'd agree it would make sense if you were to do that, and especially if you lived in a town like that, Uh, to put the highest, thickest wall around that town you could manage uh, to protect the inhabitants from the plague outside. Well, it's like this. The, uh, The Jewish circumcision laws, the food laws, and other laws about purity and cleanliness and cultural distinction were like that wall. They were a protective wall, put in place by God himself to keep his people well away from the immorality and idolatry of the world around them. They were put in place to help them, to help them to be different, to be, to be holy. Now, the tragedy of the history of the Jewish people is that, on the whole, they, they did end up failing in that holiness. You know, they failed to be the kind of distinctive people they should have been. They failed to be morally different. They became, as a nation, just as immoral, in many ways, just as idolatrous, as the nations around them. It was a bit like in our 14th century town, uh, finding just as much plague inside the town as there was outside the town in surrounding countryside. Uh, It wasn't a problem with the wall around the town. It was a problem with the people. But once it had happened, of course, we'd have to say that the wall had lost much of its usefulness. But now in the book of Acts, we find a new and even greater reason to doubt the usefulness of that wall. You see, in the midst of the Jewish people, a solution to the problem of sin, immorality, and death has been revealed. Jesus Christ has died on a cross bearing the curse and sin of sin and death for the forgiveness of his people. And God has raised him to life, a resurrection life others can share in. His Jewish disciples have witnessed it with their own eyes and other Jewish people have begun to benefit from it. It's as if, uh, thinking back to our our 14th century town, an effective and certain cure for the plague has has been found in the town and, and some of the inhabitants of the town are beginning to benefit from it. Now what use is that wall around the town? Well it's no use at all, is it? In fact, it's worse than useless. It's kind of in the way, isn't it? It's a problem. It needs to be opened up. It needs to be broken down. Or similarly here in the book of Acts with the solution to death found in the risen Lord Jesus. It's the same with the barrier between Jew and Gentile. It's a barrier that's proved to be incapable of keeping the Jewish people from sin. And now it's a problem. It's an obstacle. And so God cancels it. He says to Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Uh, And so Peter overcomes all of his instincts, all his scruples, everything he used to think about his identity, and he comes to Cornelius and he enters his house and he says, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Uh, He showed me that he shouldn't consider anyone unreachable with the news of life. And so Peter says, When I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why are you sent for me? It's a great moment. I guess for any, uh, any Jewish Christians here tonight, uh, the application of this is, is pretty direct. You're to get fully on board with this mission to the Gentiles, to the nations. Uh, You're to listen to what God has said overcome your scruples and do what Peter did taking the hope of life to your Gentile neighbours or supporting that in some way Although most of us here tonight I would guess are not Jewish but I think the implication should be pretty clear for us too you see what's going on here is that God has declared when it comes to the hope of life in the risen Lord Jesus there are to be no barriers there are to be no barriers none the only legitimate barrier has been broken down and cancelled. How much more then should all the illegitimate barriers we put up be broken down? All the barriers we invent in our petty squabbles and tribalism. God has shown us that we should not call any person unreachable. Now I'm guessing that most of us would want to echo that and agree with that, at least in principle. And yet, yeah, what about in practice? What about in practice? What about in our thoughts and in our prejudices? Uh, we need to be honest with ourselves here. I suspect that many of us, for example, are far more racist than we would dare admit, and probably quite snobby too. Uh, at least our first instincts be, can be quite racist or quite snobby. We don't, we don't like socially disruptive people, for example. We feel uncomfortable in certain neighborhoods. It's interesting, I've come across people who would, uh, who would be happier to go with the gospel into the jungles of South America than they would be happy, say, moving to somewhere like the Gleadis Valley in Sheffield. But the same thing God said to Peter, he says to all of us. We should not call any person unreachable. I ask myself, what's my what's my instinctive attitude to Muslim people? Uh, especially when I know that um, some minority of them set themselves up as as enemies of God's people. And there are Muslims in the world who, who would who would murder our Christian brothers and sisters. And uh, sometimes I had to admit that my, my instinct in response to that is well just let's just leave them alone. Let them suffer their fate. You know, that's how Peter probably felt about the Gentiles, the enemies of God's people in his day. He found it really, really hard, we can see here in this chapter, to overcome those feelings. But God has shown us that we should not call any person unreachable. Peter overcame it, and so should we. So that's on the one side, our attitude to, to those who are not yet, have not yet benefited from believing in the risen Lord Jesus. No one's excluded. It's a very, very simple and straightforward principle, although much more complicated, of course, to work out, but worth the effort. What about the other side of things, though? The receiving end of that. The receiving end of the good news of resurrection life. Well, that, it does open things up, doesn't it? It makes it accessible absolutely to everyone this is the next next step in the passage turning now to cornelius as an example and what cornelius shows us in the rest of the passage is that on the other side of things we can be confident whoever we are to seek the risen lord we can be confident whoever we are to seek the risen lord or just to expand that a little to seek the risen lord by listening to his word feeling the urgency and believing in Jesus. And then we'll see that we can know that we have found life in him as we begin to praise him. Seek the risen Lord by listening to his word, feel the urgency and believe in Jesus. This is the example of Cornelius and those with him, Sessus, as they gather to listen to Peter. Uh, so for example, take a look at verse 33 with me. And how this encourages us to follow Cornelius' example and and to seek the Lord. Cornelius says to Peter, so I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I sent for you immediately, he says. He's, He's been bending over backwards to meet Peter and hear from him. And over the moon when he comes and arrives... I wonder if that surprises us a little. Well, why might that surprise us? Well, after all, why did someone like Cornelius need to hear from Peter? Uh, We learn a lot about him in this chapter. He fears God. He's saying his prayers. Uh, He's giving money away. I suspect he was uh, conscientious at recycling he, I suppose he sponsored numerous needy children in Africa. He uh, donated his hair to the Little Princess Trust. He was generally considered an upright and outstanding member of his community. Surely, we might think, that's, that's more than enough, isn't it? This is a good guy. Why does he need to worry? Surely this is enough to get him on the right side with God. Well, clearly, he came to realise, no. That was not enough. Without Jesus, he was just like everyone else, a sinner in need of forgiveness. But how do we seek the Lord? How do we seek the risen Lord? Well, according to Cornelius, we seek the Lord by listening to his word. Look again at the phrase in the middle of verse 33. Cornelius says this, he says, now we are all here in the presence of God. It's a very striking claim to make, isn't it? Now, of course, there's a sense that God is, is, is present everywhere in his creation. But what, in what sense was he especially present at that moment? Now, Peter was just a human, as he's, as he's just reminded us. But Peter does have something that makes God especially present at this moment. Peter has come with the word of God, with the eyewitness truth about the resurrection. And Cornelius knows that as God's word is preached, God himself is with them. I wonder if you realize that's true for us right now. We are in the presence of God. I can say that quite confidently. That's amazing, isn't it? Not because we're in a special building, not because there's anything special about anyone here, least of all me. Not that there's anything special about this meeting or about the time of day or the day of the week. But because the apostolic word is being preached. We are in the presence of God. So then, seek the risen Lord by listening to his word. We have come here to listen, says Cornelius. Let's listen again carefully to what Peter says and feel the urgency of what he says and then believe in Jesus. Now, some of what Peter says here, he's said before, and we've heard him say it over the the last few weeks. I've been looking at these different passages. uh, Verses 39 to to 40, much of this we've heard before, haven't we? You know, we are witnesses, says Peter. Uh, And then he talks about the death of Jesus. They killed him by hanging him on a tree but then God raised him. This has been the message time and time again. Jesus Christ died on a cross, hung on a tree, bearing the curse of sin and death and the forgiveness of sins. But God raised him, raised him to life, a resurrection life others can share in. But some of what Peter says here is new and I think helps us to feel some of the urgency of the situation we're in. Take verse 42, for example. This is what Peter says. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Jesus has been appointed judge of the living and the dead. I guess Peter's hinted at it before, but now it's absolutely clear and explicit. And it makes sense when you think about it. So what's happened? So God has reached out to a, to a hostile world, in his son, in love. They have re- reacted, though, with hostility. They, they thought they could judge and condemn him by killing him on a cross, getting rid of him. But God raised him. In other words, humanity is engaged in a battle with their God. But of course, that's not a battle that any human can win. Jesus has been raised And he will stand as judge of the living and the dead. Which does rather inject a sort of sense of urgency into the situation, doesn't it? You see, now it's simply not enough merely to acknowledge God or even to fear him. It's not enough to be Cornelius, the nice religious man at the beginning of the passage. That's not going to help anyone. That's not going to help him. That's not going to help or defend you, us, when we face Jesus as judge. I hope you can see now why Cornelius was so keen to meet with Peter. Because Peter's come with a message of verse 43. Verse 43 All the prophets testify about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him, everyone, even Cornelius. Even Gentiles like Cornelius, even those like Cornelius here tonight, forgiveness of sins comes through belief, through faith. We don't have to become Jewish. We don't have to give up eating the bacon butties. We just have to feel the urgency and believe And to entrust ourselves fully to the one who died that sin-bearing death on the tree so that his resurrection life can become our resurrection life. Believe in his name and our God will indeed act powerfully in us just as he did for Cornelius. Now I suspect that tonight, here tonight, there may be many among us this evening quite like Cornelius. Cornelius. In a group this size, in fact, is almost bound to be quite a number, quite like Cornelius. Who do I mean? I mean perhaps people who come to church at least fairly regularly, who like Cornelius at the beginning of this passage fear God and say their prayers. And who even perhaps, like Cornelius, give money away to the church or to others. But like Cornelius at the start of this passage, the truth of Jesus and his resurrection hasn't quite hit home yet. You haven't quite yet had that life-transforming, sins-forgiven encounter with Jesus. It's very interesting. When when the Black Death was sweeping through Europe, people tried all sorts of things to protect themselves. Uh, They strapped live chickens to themselves, which must have been really uncomfortable and very inconvenient, They drank potions laced with mercury or arsenic, which rather defeated the purpose you'd have thought, wouldn't you? And they carried around sweet-smelling flowers and herbs to purify the air in the hope that that would do the trick, none of which worked, of course, some of which made things worse. I just want to challenge us this evening. Are we likewise relying on something equally as useless when it comes to facing that judgment from Jesus? To come, something less than Jesus Christ crucified and risen well if that's you tonight this is the time this is the moment feel the urgency seek the risen Lord seek the risen Lord by listening to his word and believing feel the urgency and believe in Jesus and finally then Uh, we can all know that we've found that resurrection life, be confident in that resurrection life, as we begin to praise him for it from the heart. Uh, Back here in Acts chapter 10, those watching what was happening in Cornelius' house actually knew straight away that these Gentiles had found life through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Look at verse uh, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message the circumcised believers, that's the, the Jewish people, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So even as Peter was speaking, the divine power of the, uh, of the words he was speaking, the, the resurrection words to bring new life became obvious to everyone there. And it became very obvious in a dramatic way that God himself was working in these people. That the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them. How was it obvious? Verse 46, they were praising God in tongues. Uh, That is, as you can see from the footnote, they were praising God in in other languages. Uh, We know from uh, chapter 2 of Acts that when the same thing happened back in Jerusalem... Uh, On the day of Pentecost, those visiting Jerusalem from many nations were able to hear the apostles declaring the wonders of God in their own languages. That's what the word tongue means, it just means language. Um, I suppose if we were to do that kind of miracle here tonight, it would be like me suddenly praising God in Russian or or Chinese or in Hindi, languages I I really know nothing about. Now I know there's much more we could say about this, uh, which we don't really have time for now. I just want to make the claim from the book of Acts that that this particular miracle here in Acts chapter 10 of speaking languages you never knew before, it doesn't happen every time the Holy Spirit works in someone to bring them forgiveness and life. In the book of Acts, in fact, it only happens three times uh, to show very specific things. And what it's doing here is serving a a very, very specific purpose uh, of proving to the Jewish believers beyond all doubt that God had granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life without them becoming Jewish. But I do want to say to you that if you respond to the apostolic word tonight, uh, maybe for the first time, uh, maybe not, maybe you've already responded, and you find yourself from the heart praising God in your own language, in your own tongue, in English, then you are part of what this miracle in Acts chapter 10 points to. You see, I think we forget sometimes that from the point of view of the Bible, English is a foreign Gentile language. There was apparently once a Texas governor who allegedly spoke out against bilingualism in the schools in Texas by saying, if English was good enough for Jesus Christ it ought to be good enough for the children of Texas. Now, whether or not that's true, we can actually easily fall into the same trap, forgetting that it's a miraculous and extraordinary work of the Spirit that anyone, anywhere, praises God in English. In other words, the speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 10 is a picture. It's a foretaste, if you like, the much greater work of the Holy Spirit, breathing new life into people from many nations over the last 2,000 years, including, eventually, the English and people who speak in English. It may not be uh, as miraculous in quite the same way as what was happening here in Acts chapter 10, but it's still miraculous. And if you hear the eyewitness gospel message of Peter tonight and uh, cry out for the first time in praise to God, in English, then you are part of that miracle. That's a great thing, isn't it? In fact, we can all participate in that miracle, knowing that God has worked in us. Imagine you did live in in 14th century Europe and did amazingly somehow find a fail-safe cure for the Black Death. You'd be pretty popular, I would guess. One would hope that people would be going out of their way to get that cure that you had invented to as many people as possible, regardless of their social status, of their nationality or their ethnicity. People would certainly be clamouring to get the cure for themselves, whoever they were. But actually, it wouldn't be that great a thing. It would be a great thing, but not that great a thing. It wouldn't be a complete cure, would it? All those people would still have died. None of them would be with us today. So I do hope we've been reminded tonight just how amazing the powerful news of Jesus' resurrection is. In the risen Lord Jesus, we have access to a cure. Not for the Black Death specifically, but for death itself we can be confident that no one's excluded and so we can be confident whoever we are to seek the risen Lord Jesus and find life in his name well let's pray for that now oh heavenly father we just want to thank you for, from the bottom of our hearts for this amazing news and uh, thank you for the encouragement. that There are no barriers now. No one's excluded from this. We pray that that should challenge us to take the news of Jesus across every boundary, breaking them all down, spreading out that hope of life. And I do want to pray specifically for anyone here tonight who has not yet come under that blessing, that they could realize that whoever they are, this is for them. They can access it through the Lord Jesus. We pray that this would be A moment where that strikes home as true and that by your spirit you would work powerfully in them even tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.